Hey y'all, this is Ledge, and before we get to this episode, I want to tell you a quick story. I remember when we were contacted by one of the top video fitness apps in the United States, and they were doing a total rebuild, and they wanted to do that with our engineers. So we set that up, and we've been at it for two years with 10 different team members in every possible skill set from design to product management to scrum master to development. And it's been a really exciting journey where we are completely in charge of staffing that entire team for them. That's not a common scenario, but it just gives you an idea of the reach that we can bring to the table, you know, time and time again for mobile apps and for web apps and for design. And I think that's really one of the strengths of the huge bench of talent that we bring to the table. Now for our episode. This is the Frontier Podcast powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at The Frontier Pod. Hi, Shawnee. Good to have you on. Great to have you. Uh, great to be here. <laughs> it is great to have me. I, I often tell people the same thing. <laughs> if you don't mind, would you just give maybe a two or three minute introduction of yourself and your work and you know how you got here and what you're doing? Sure. Uh, I'm CTO at Tetra. We build a knowledge management system for high performance teams. So uh, we integrate with all the tools that you're already using, um, like GitHub and Slack and Google Drive. So we try to be the hub for where you store all your knowledge. Before Tetra, I was at uh, US Digital Service, which is a tech team inside the White House. Um, that consults on critical government infrastructure and projects. Um, It's often called Peace Corps for Nerds. Um, It was born out of the healthcare.gov crisis. um, And I did a little bit of everything there from consulting on website monitoring and metrics to coaching on how to do agile development. Um, And it was a really interesting uh, experience before USDS, I was at Twitter. Um, And I think that's sort of where I learned what software engineering at scale looks like. Um, And I've been at organizations of all shapes and sizes, you know, from the tiny startup that I'm at now, at Tetra, to everything from the federal government. And I really think that transparency um, is relevant no matter what kind of company you're at. You know, the mechanics will be different, whether you're a five-person company or a 5,000-person company, but the principles are the same. And I think it uh, really enables um, a team to work on the right things and work uh, much faster. Um, Yeah. And so what I love about the role that I have now is that um, I get to do a little bit of everything. I spend time, you know, pretty hands-on in code solving engineering problems, but I also get to think about how to build a thoughtful culture that's inclusive, um, and uh, I think transparency plays into that as well. Absolutely, yeah, and there's a lot of places to go with, you know, transparency. Yet. You talked about the principles, I guess, of transparency. So. I wonder, you know, if I asked, you know, 50 people if they would all come up with the same principles. So what are yours and what are the ones that, you know, kind of have anchored you and been successful when you think about transparency in an organization? Sure. So um, to me, I think transparency is about two things. It's about accountability 
and it's about trust. So the accountability side of it is, um, is are the leaders working on the right things? Are they making the right decisions? Um, you know, when the entire company has access to almost um, all of the same data, it's much easier to justify why you're making certain decisions and you're not just making them off of, you know, I'm, I'm the boss and that's why I'm doing it. Um, and that kind of, um, that kind of, um, the behavior also, I think it builds trust among your team because, uh, they see that you're doing things for the right reasons, uh, and they are more likely to want to also help in, um, uh, in achieving those goals. And on, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was gonna say like, have you experienced, Cultures like on both sides of that, you know, like it, it, it sounds like maybe, you know, it's like <laughs> transparency would not be transparency unless you'd experienced, you know, kind of the opposite, right? Where you, you didn't have it and maybe you wondered about, you know, hey, or why is the ship going this way? You know, and now you have a chance to be a leader and kind of build something else. I know I've found in my career and I talked to a lot of people to say, hey, you know, I, I took notes along the way and it generally turns out that the list of things you're going to do is shorter than the list of things that you're not going to do, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I so think what's the story back there. So I think this is most apparent in larger organizations and in the government. Um, I think that what, um, what often happens, and this is not just in government in lots of teams is that there's sort of a fear around um, exposing too much information because um, by being open, you become vulnerable. And so there's, um, and this play comes into play in all sorts of situations. Mm -hmm. One is job security. Like if um, only one person knows how to handle a certain system, um, how it works, uh, and there's no documentation around it, um, there's a lot of fear around what happens if that person leaves or, or we can't fire that person. Um, it also, so there's, you know, decisions around like how you build your team shouldn't come down to fear. It should be, you love, you love working with those people. Um, and they're good at their job, not because they're the only ones who in the world who know how to do something. Um, on the other side, I think a lot of people shy away from transparency because um, it's the job of management in a lot of companies to kind of curate and distill what relevant information is for their team. Um, and I think the reason they do that is because having too much information can be a distraction. Um, I hear that a lot from other companies, you know, um, especially around things like salary transparency, you know, worrying about things that are not immediately relevant to the job at hand um, can make you lose focus. Um, and I think what we try to do at Tetra is instead of dictating like what information you should have access to, we try to treat information as self-serve. Um, and the way we keep everyone aligned and focused on the right things is um, to keep hammering on, um, these are our goals, uh, let's keep stay aligned on, this is what we're trying to achieve. And um, 
it's up to each individual teammate to figure out, okay, is this data or information that I'm seeing, is this actionable, is this relevant, do I need to engage with it, or um, can I just let it go for now? Yeah, absolutely. And it makes me me think that you, know, you guys have this kind of cool meta experience of being like, all right, let's all get together and like figure out what transparency is or isn't or ought to be or ought not to be and then build a product around it. How do you think that you've taken the next step in that? Right. Like, you know, because we talked a little bit off mic, you know, um, going way back, you know, to the first like beta PHP wiki that I could get off GitHub you know, <laughs> way back in the day. And, and everybody's like, this is amazing. You know, I can edit a web page and it was really cool. Right. And you could link things together. And then, then there was sort of, you know, uh, half decent versions of that, like Google sites or something like that. Then you have your enterprise systems, you know, like a confluence or SharePoint. Uh, what's the, what's the next level of innovation there? Is it, is it the connectivity between systems or like a lack of, duplicating entry or um, how are you handling all that? Um, so one thing that we try to do is we try to make the defaults in Tetra um, super sensible. So one, one principle we have is open by default. So any page that you create in Tetra is visible to your entire team. And we really think that for most pieces of information, that is the right default. Um, and that doesn't mean that you're constantly looking at every single page or you're being spammed by updates to those pages. It just means that if you need to look that up, um, it's available to you. Uh, so I think part of uh, achieving transparency is having that access to information with minimal barriers. Um, and on the other side of things, if it, because everything is open by default, we have to be really careful about how we present that information. You know, not everything is relevant to you at a certain moment. So um, making sure that notifications are super targeted to what you care about at that moment, whether that's only things from the department that you're in or only things that mention you. Um, and so even though you have access to everything, what you're engaging with day to day is the subset that is relevant to you. Um, and I think we've done a pretty good job of building the product around um, those principles for teams of that are you know around 15 people to 150. We've figured out that 15 is sort of the number where if you don't write stuff down, <laughs> you get into trouble. You you know you're not all sitting around one table and can't just ask um, your teammate uh, where to get access to something. Um, and then bigger than 150, it gets to a point where you don't know everybody on your team personally. And so those that open by default um, principle get, starts to get a little scarier. And, you know, we ha you have to have your tools um, be even more, um, I guess, configurable uh, to make sure that you are sharing the right things um, and without too much kind of meta work and like mental overhead of like, oh, who is going to see this? Can I make sure that everybody who should see this did see this? Um, those kinds right. of things. And, and yet, I mean, you're solving a problem or attempting to solve a problem that is like 
you know, been part of every organization since the dawn of time, right? You know, that, I mean, this is, in a sense, new approaches to, you know, old problems, right? Um, and you probably looked at a bunch of existing systems and kind of like, well, it doesn't exactly do, you know, what we had hoped for, you know, because it's, it's, a, it's a crowded world, you know, with kind of knowledge management. And, you know, this goes all the way back to, you know, share drives and, you know, calendars and email and, you know, there's all kinds of stuff and ways that people have tried to poorly address this problem. You can see it with Slack, you know, tries to integrate everything. So you never go anywhere else. And, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's like a whole collection of, of stuff, but it doesn't necessarily capture an enduring view of, you know, kind of the knowledge or ultimately intelligence of the organization. Uh, how are you, you know, like addressing that challenge in a different way? Um, so I think one of, we, we have three tenets uh, as part of the product. Um, one is that it's super simple. So, um, you know, I've used Confluence um, and SharePoint in previous jobs. And, um, you know, I became a Confluence power user, but it's actually, it's quite difficult um, to get to that point. Mm -hmm. And if you're not an engineer and you're, um, you know, not used to writing in like wiki syntax or markdown, um, it can be daunting. And I think you Confluence is a type of uh, system that you also need an administrator role that, you know, who decides like sets up all the spaces yep, yep. And, um, and the users and things like that. So what we tried to do is just have something out of the box that everyone feels um, comfortable contributing to. Everybody knows how to access that you can access it straight from Slack. Um, if that's already where you're kind of interacting with your teammates. Um, and, and it's really easy, easy to contribute information. So, you know, it's not just like one or two people who are the experts. It's everybody on the team who has, has something that they um, can share with the team. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've experienced it as like, you needed somebody to always step up and kind of be the librarian that, you know, like <laughs> that someone had to try to at least curate the indexes or like, how do I even remotely make this useful as it starts? Cause you want to collect everything. I mean, there's good reasons to collect everything. And along with that, what I experienced with, you know, knowledge management implementations is, you know, with any technology, it's, it's all about the adoption, right? And the, just the change of, like, I found that, you know, rolling out a, I don't know, a wiki to, you know, 500 or 1,000 people that you had to change the way questions were asked. You had to change the way answers were given. And, uh, you know, it came to be like, well, don't ask Ledger question because, you know, <laughs> they check the wiki, right? Right. But if the answer isn't there, the answer ought to be written down and a link ought to be provided to the answer. <laughs> You know, and then if the answer is wrong, you should go and change it. You know, what do you mean I should change it? No, really, you just click the edit button. And, you know, so has that changed or, you know, like definitely. So basically, basically what we tried to do is um, encode exactly that workflow that you just described um, into the product. Mm -hmm. So somebody asked a question on Slack um, and there is, you know, the we have a Slack slash command integration that you can just find um, whether that 
uh, question is already documented in Tetra. Uh-huh. If it's not, you we have an in-app action that just creates that as a ticket. Mm-hmm. It's called a suggestion mm-hmm. in Tetra. So it and you can assign it to whoever you think is the best person to answer that question. Um, and so, and then they'll have sort of like this task um, and the like little blue dot in, in the app and gentle nudges every once in a while to be like, Hey, you should document this thing because somebody, somebody <laughs> in wants your to team know, right? <laughs> needs to know. Um, and other people can give it a plus one if they also need to know and yeah. they're looking for it and it hasn't been answered yet. Um, and then once you do answer it, you get, um, as a person who's writing down this information, you get a little bit of congratulations at the end, you know, because people mm-hmm. can thumbs up your page and you get notified like, oh, your page had five viewers. Um, and the fact that like something that you wrote down definitely helped a teammate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a big part of it. Um, another thing around um, just keeping things simple of what we've done is we've really stripped away almost all of the permissioning. <laughs> Yep. And th- that part of that is a one of the most frustrating things I found about using SharePoint is that even if something was there, figuring like knowing it was there was half the battle because you, your view of uh, SharePoint is completely different from another user's view of SharePoint. And sure. so um, to the extent possible, we're trying to make it so that, you know, if I can see it in Tetra, you should be able to see it in Tetra too. So you, you've gone, you know, all the way up through a bunch of kinds of organizations, software engineering, C, you know, the whole thing. Now CTO, talk about that journey, a journey that some people, I should say, like engineers don't even want to make. So, you know, how, how'd you make it? And, you know, uh, what was important in making the decisions to, to kind of get there where it felt comfortable and it didn't feel like, you know, I'm not an engineer anymore. Um, I think being part of this tiny team was, so it was sort of the right middle step. Um, I'm spending a lot of the time hands-on building things. Um, You know, I would say 80% of the time I'm writing code or looking at pull requests. Um, And then 20% of the time I get to do what is, to me, still a little bit scary, but also fun um, of learning how to grow a team and um, how to uh, mentor the new engineers that are joining my team, but also how to build uh, an engineering culture that's that ships frequently, ships quality code, um, is proud of what they're working on and um, knows what they're working on is um, helping a customer. And you get to set out and, you know, actually do those things. So I don't know how long that, that journey has, has been there, but um, what have you done to create that culture, the, you know, sort of ship off? And, sure. and you know, all I, think, I think I have a little bit of a chip on my shoulder from earlier in my career where, um, you know, I got a lot of, hey, you know, you're just a, uh, lowly engineer you can just like stay in this back room and write code and you're not ready to talk to customers um and i thought that was like a very demotivating and like kind of limiting belief for somebody else to be telling you like what you are and are allowed to do and not allowed to do so i think um that goes that plays a lot into how i think about building my team around you know making information self-serve and also around 
what are the things that would have been helpful for me to know earlier in my career, but I was too afraid to ask and um, trying to make the, those kinds of things accessible to the team and be, make it okay to talk about those things. And I think that's one of the reasons that, um, though it's one of the uh, decisions uh, that went into um, Tetra deciding to do uh, salary transparency, mm-hmm. uh, which was a super scary thing for us to do. We didn't really have a lot of models of how it was done in other places, um, but it's so far it's worked out great in that when we bring on um, a candidate, when we do, when we give them an offer, we say, here's your salary and here's your equity breakdown and here's a spreadsheet of what everybody else in the company is making. Um, so you can see your offer in context um, and evaluate it and like ask us any questions about like why um, you're slotting in where you are. Uh, and the tough thing for us deciding to do salary transparency is that we are such a small team and we don't have somebody in every single role. So we don't have a fully fleshed out, you know, engineering career ladder. So we're figuring it out as it goes along. But I think it's really empowering for the team to be part of that decision making. Yeah, absolutely. What what happened with salary transparency that you both expected and kind of didn't expect? Like, so you know, what worked and what didn't? Um, I, I think the thing that's unexpected is that um, it's made our hiring process much smoother. Um, I didn't, you know, we, we didn't explicitly say, oh, we're not going to negotiate when we make this offer. We left that possibility open because we had no idea how it was going to go. And the, all of the candidates we've brought in thus far have not negotiated. Uh, which I found super surprising. And I think it just goes to show that once you have all the information in context and it makes sense, um, it, you know, you don't have to like fight against it. Um, and so that, that process, uh, I think it just aligns expectations super early on here. Here's what, um, here's kind of the overall context of the team. And we're super transparent about our revenue and our um, financials. So, that um, has been really surprising to me that uh, everybody we've brought on has been uh, very cool with the whole process. Um, I think the thing that is hard and is going to continue to be hard is as we grow to like to have to constantly recalibrate, you know, what if, um, you know, we're not financially in a spot to do raises or we, we figure out that, you know, somebody's super out of whack. Um, uh, and we made the wrong decision on like, we decided to pay them too much. And, um, and you know, if there's somebody else on the team who's doing similar work, who's being paid less and now we have to relevel and, but we're not in financially in a situation to do that. You know, how do we make that kind of hard decision, um, out in the open and being vulnerable to the entire team to like own up to a mistake that we made. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that'll be interesting. We'll have to do that in another, uh, <laughs> another episode, the firefighting yeah. episode. Um, oh, this is awesome. You know, really, really cool. And, um, you know, definitely encourage everybody to check out Tetra, which is T E T T R A. Is that right? That's Dot C-O. Correct. 
Awesome. Okay. So last thing, totally unrelated, but fun. I have the lightning round sure. for you. Okay. These critically important <laughs> questions. Star Wars or Star, Star Trek? Trek. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> All right. What are you reading right now? Um, I'm reading a book called Crudo, which I picked up because I really like the food. <laughs> but it's, it's a novel. <laughs> uh, what can't you live without? Um, comfortable pants. Like yoga pants. Right on. Yoga <laughs> pants. All right. Right on. What is the last thing you Googled for work? Um, probably how to do uh, logging configuration for PHP. <laughs> Not what I Googled, but okay. <laughs> okay, so there's a... I don't know if you're an office fan, but in, in, in mm -hmm. the office, there's a, there's a classic sort of episode where Jim is messing with Dwight. Jim always <laughs> messes with Dwight and he is sending him faxes from future Dwight. And it got me thinking, right. You know, if I gave you one piece of paper and one of those big, thick Sharpies, and I said, you can fax yourself oh. 10 years ago, what would you write on the paper? I guess you're going to do great. <laughs> nice, nice. Most people say, you know, it's like sort of don't open that door. Or no. um, I think. <laughs> no, it's great. Uh, I love that. I, I love that positive outlook. Like, why there, I uh, think why I, did there that was come a lot of uncertainty. I wasn't quite. I graduated in 08, um, just around the financial crisis. Um, a lot of my friends, you know, had job offers that disappeared by the time they graduated. And it was kind of an uncertain time. And I wasn't sure that I'd pick the right major. And, um, and I think a lot of that um, worked itself out. And I think just having um, somebody on the other side saying that you're going to be fine probably would have... Um, been really nice. <laughs> Thanks. You'd be a great mentor for yourself. So. Uh, thanks so much for having me. It was really fun. Well, Shawnee, super fun to have you on. I totally appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io slash podcast to get in touch, and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.